Welcome to the Battle Buddy Podcast with Keith McKeever. Welcome back to the Battle Buddy Podcast. I have Lori with me, and she is going to talk about some cybersecurity threats. Before we get her up here on stage, I just want to say, make sure you hit your like, subscribe, follow button. But most importantly, Battle Buddies, make sure you're sharing this and any other podcast episode that you listen to that you find valuable. Make sure you're sharing them with your Battle Buddies out there. That's where all the impact is, sharing it to the people who might need that message. So without further ado, we've got Lori Jackson. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Keith. Yeah, I'm glad to have you on here because I'm, I wouldn't call myself a super tech nerd, but I'm kind of a tech nerd. So I kind of get the uh, the whole cybersecurity threats. It's the world that we live in these days. It's just um, you know, something we didn't have to deal with 25, 30 years ago, at least to this point. So I appreciate you coming on here to kind of enlighten us a little bit about some of the things that are going on. And you have an interesting story. Uh, you did not serve, but you have, let me get the, the wording right, facility-related control systems uh, for the Corps of Engineers and some other government uh, work that you've done. So tell us a little bit about that and a little bit about your story. Sure. Thanks, Keith. I'm so glad to be with you today and really excited to talk about cybersecurity. Um, yeah, so my story is uh, I went to school for computer engineering, so I've always kind of been in that geek spot just like you. Um, started out supporting uh, IT and, you know, helping folks eons ago with their email and uh, learning how to use the printer and those kinds of things. So I paid my dues and moved up through the ranks, but my entire career has been in the defense space. So I have been supporting um, uh, Department of Defense my entire career. Um, like you mentioned, the Corps of Engineers, that's one of the clients that I have routinely engaged with throughout my, um, my time. And more recently, uh, you mentioned the facility-related control systems. So we've been um, providing the cybersecurity design for some of those buildings that are being designed or renovated on different bases throughout the country, um, you know, to protect the fire alarm from getting uh, compromised, to uh, protecting the HVAC so that the temperature doesn't get hiked up, um, you know, from an adversary that's not even nearby. So you think about all of our systems nowadays are much more connected than they were, you know, even five years ago. And so cybersecurity has become a key component in architecture and engineering design on our um, our bases, um, work for the Corps of Engineers, like you mentioned, and also for the Navy. Um, so we've been really excited uh, doing that. But um, I spent, you know, my entire career working in defense. And then more recently, uh, prior to the pandemic, I started my own company, White Raven Security. And uh, with White Raven, we do the facility control system design, but we've also been providing um, small businesses uh, with support in uh, all manner of cybersecurity, whether it's uh, DOD contractors who have compliance needs or if it's training, um, you know, because your first line of defense is quite honestly your people. And if they don't know what to look for, then, you know, you could be uh, susceptible to an attack. And so we work with companies to make sure that their employees are being trained properly. Um, we help them develop policies and procedures, setting up their actual security program. So a lot of the companies we work with um, they're, they're kind of new to the space and they don't want to go out of business because the, the more, more and more we see attacks on small businesses than any other uh, sector of, of uh, the economy um, because small businesses aren't always equipped with the tools that they need to protect their environments. And so we've been supporting those companies and, and helping them feel more confident um, in the protections and pointing out you know, ways that maybe they can improve. 
Makes sense. Uh, you know, when I was in, I was Air Force Security Forces, so we were tasked with law enforcement, security, air base defense, all that fun stuff. Um, but of course, I got out ten years ago, and when you say like Internet of Things and cybersecurity for buildings, you know, the last unit I was at, we had a fairly new building, and it, I don't remember any kind of tech controls in that. And so it's kind of weird for me to think about like, okay, I get that because we were always securing about. Uh, concerned about physical security, you know, the fence, the gate, the the alarm systems, the camera, like mm-hmm. all those different things. Um, but it's, it makes perfect sense, you know, just in this new world that we're in these days where cyber attacks can happen from anywhere, um, that the DOD would be obviously a really prime target. And when mm-hmm. I was then, we always talked about hard targets versus soft targets. You always want to be the hard target. Nobody wants to attack the hard target. They're always going to take the opportunity to attack the soft ones that are unprepared. And so I think that's where a lot of the value in this conversation is, is, Mm -hmm. is those small business owners. There's a lot of veteran entrepreneurs out there who are probably really unprotected. I'm probably guilty of it myself. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm not throwing stones here. Like I, I'm probably guilty of it too. Like we all have areas we could probably improve on that. So I think it's a valuable conversation to have. Yes. I agree. So the training that you provide, can you elaborate a little bit more on, on what, what you do? And then we'll kind of dive into kind of what some of the threats and stuff that, that are happening out there. Yeah. So um, we have a, a, a lunch and learn format for uh, cybersecurity, because if you start putting people in really long, drawn out cybersecurity sessions, you know that they're just going to check out. And so our program kind of focuses on, you know, lunch and learn. Um, makes it short and brief, gives you, um, you know, some some takeaways so you can refer back, oh, she told me about XYZ. And, and so you have like a cheat sheet you can go back to. Um, and, and what we like to do is do these kind of frequently, uh, like on a monthly basis, because the top of mind is important with cybersecurity because the adversaries are not going to sleep. Um, they're expecting us to let down our guard and be too tired to do X, Y, or Z, whatever those protections are. And so having that training at top of mind is always a good idea. The other thing that we like to do is tie it into your personal life. Um, you know, who doesn't want to protect their children or protect their parents or their families, you know, from cyber attacks. So if there's a way in your business that you can train your employees, um, that gives them that buy-in that it also could be carried over to their families. They might be more eager to protect your company as well. And so we try to make it you know, somewhat personal and give um, folks a chance to ask questions that are specific to their you know, particular situation. Um, because if somebody's gonna protect themselves at home and they're trying to figure out how to do that the best way that they can, that's obviously gonna carry over to their their work life as well. Absolutely. I love that you, you said it was you know, kind of bite-sized lunchtime because you know, I kind of jokingly put my head down, but yeah, right. if I sat there for like an hour, two hours of like a computer-based training. I'd just be like, okay, all right, time to go. Oh, sleep. Yeah. All right, wake up, Keith. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. I, but I also think it, it's, it's cyber stuff. So everybody has a different level of, of ability. So mm-hmm. uh, I like the fact that, you, you know, small lunchtime, you can digest just a little bit and then maybe go back and take right. action on that and then, you know, come back for the next right. session. Cause that's a, that's a tough topic. Well, you know, I've been in trainings before where they get into the technical weeds and, you know, for folks like you're talking about that may not have that same level of knowledge as maybe, you know, one guy in the room, you're going to lose them. And so you have to bring it down to a level where everybody can be engaged in it. 
Otherwise, it's not very effective. Absolutely. Like, wait, oh, well, hold on. <laughs> Let's rope this back in a little bit. Let's right. Bring it back to uh, to reality for, for the 99% right. of people in there. So, so uh, with the DOD compliance stuff, what uh, CMMC is what I have in my notes. Can you explain what that mm-hmm. is and, and what you do for the DOD compliance stuff? Yeah, so the Department of Defense deals in a, a lot of data, as you're aware of. You you do projects that, <laughs> you know, there's 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 all kinds of information that you create for the government or that they give you. And there's a certain classification of that data that's called controlled unclassified information. So it doesn't fall under what you're probably familiar with as the top secret or the, the TSSCI. It's not under that umbrella. It is something that is not for public release, but it should be controlled. And so for uh, US Department of Defense contracts that deal in the controlled and classified information, um, you have to show that your computer systems and processes and, and, and um, you know, your people are all meeting a certain um, type of requirement. And that requirement is a, a NIST document. NIST is a National Institute of Standards and Technology that's under the Department of Commerce, and they provide guidance documents for a, a whole manner of, of topics. But one of them is in cybersecurity. And so the, the main uh, document that they provide is NIST 800-171. So any company that's dealing with controlled and classified information likely has a DFARS clause that means that tells them they need to meet NIST 800-171. Now, up until now even, that clause, just by signing that contract, you state that you're meeting NIST 800-171. But what a lot of companies have come to realize is it's a large effort to meet those requirements. And so you're, you're more interested in signing that contract, getting that project started, and perhaps you haven't gone through all the steps to meet that particular uh, guidance document from NIST. So where we have the CMMC come in, the CMMC is the Cybersecurity Maturity Model Certification, and that is the um, third-party assessment piece to NIST 800-171, where the government has said, okay, a lot of folks are just signing, they're doing it, and they're not doing it, so this is going to be our verification. So we're going to have these third-party companies come to you at your expense and make sure you are meeting all of those controls. And it's not something you can do over a weekend. It is a document that has 110 controls and each of those controls has a certain number of assessment criteria that you would need to address in order to meet them. And it's not just your firewall. It's not just antivirus software, although those, those are things that are in the requirements, but it's also you know personnel training. So do you do background checks before you allow certain individuals to access the government's controlled and classified information. That'd be a so good idea. It, yeah. And it so it's a whole company approach to security. It's not necessarily just, you know, the IT department has to do a flip a bunch of switches. Um, and so that's where um, the CMMC has come in is to make sure that companies are doing these things to help protect that data that the government wants to be protected. Um, you know, you were talking about hard targets. There's a section in the NIST 800-171 that's on physical protection. So you got to be able to lock your doors and, you know, monitor for intruders. I mean, things that, you know, are kind of common sense, but in the- But it was the standard been- 10, 15 years ago for securing data. Now you got this other aspect to deal with. 
Right, exactly. And so, um, you know, it, it seems like it's going to be straightforward. And so a lot of companies have just been like, eh, I'll, I'll do it when it's actually a rule that I have to implement. Um, but some companies are already uh, under that requirement, the NIST 800171, even though CMMC hasn't come out yet as a, you know, forcing you to show on paper you've done it and to prove it. Um, there are an increase of um, assessments by DIVCAC, which is the Defense Industrial Base Cybersecurity Assessment Center. <laughs> Always get that one. All these acronyms, the government you know. acronyms. Oh my goodness! Yeah. But that that piece is, that piece is uh, under DCMA, and they're starting to get requests to come in and do a government asse uh, assessment of organizations that are supposed to be meeting these requirements even before CMMC comes out. So we've been helping companies to um, assess their systems, assess their policies, see if what they're doing for security is going to meet the government's requirements. And then at that point, if we find holes, then we can help, you know, fill those holes. And I would imagine pretty much any, any company that has a government contract is going to have some sort of documents, at least, and things that they have to secure. So it's everybody. You know, oh, yeah. Well, and just at the change in the last couple of years, um, you know, there are other arms of the government that are looking at the same requirements because, you know, our adversaries, I mean, if you look at what's going on in Europe and with Ukraine, I mean, part of that engagement is in cyberspace. So more of our threats are not necessarily on the ground. They're in the air that we can't see surrounding our systems. And so I would imagine that a lot of defense contractors, um, if not DHS in the future and others, are going to start requiring some level of cybersecurity um, you know, hygiene and proof that you're doing those things um, to protect their data. Yeah, it'd be good. So anybody who's paying attention to this really needs to no matter what government contract you have, you might want to be the first. If nobody else is really doing it in your space, you might be want to be the one of the first. That it way, would when be you a differentiator. Out, <laughs> on it, you can go back yeah. to the government and say, "Guess what? You know, hey, here's my here's my papers. I'm I'm good to go. I'm certified. I'm I'm all ready." Yes. And, oh, I, yes. and I would imagine that um, the companies that you see that are doing this well, as you were kind of explaining that, I'm willing to bet that almost almost all of them probably have one person whose position is for compliance on this. And it's not even their sole job. Like, you know, somebody's right. got that responsibility. Right. Exactly. And, and, and in most of the situations that I've encountered, it's somebody who's doing four different things. Oh, and yeah. so entrepreneurs, it, right? <laughs> well, right. But you know, it is, it is, um, you know, cybersecurity and these requirements for NIST 800171 are so in depth and complex that it really could be arguably a full-time job for one person. Um, and then to have the support of management and human resources and, and other areas of the company, because like I said, it's it's not an IT solution. So it's not like, you know, you put it to the IT department to figure it out. I mean, it is a whole company uh, approach to security. Absolutely, look at his organization, you know, if the, if the leadership is buying into it, and the IT right. department's doing what they need to do, and HR is hiring the right people, not people with, you know, crazy felonies or questionable pasts. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which right. happens. I don't know. I don't know how that happens. That just takes me back to my time in that uh, it was amazing how many moving companies, maybe this is a good note for those that are still serving, the moving companies that contract and come on base to move your personal goods, 
almost like clockwork. Every single one of them that would come through the base would would have somebody in there with an outstanding warrant. Oh. And these are the people coming on base, trying to come on base, and move your personal mm. belongings. So people, uh, companies yeah. don't don't always check. Yeah. So you know, if you're a business owner out there, you might want to start double checking that. Right, that, and that, you know, keys, right? Right, and you know, it starts with your contracts. You know, those documents are long and arduous to go through, but it's worth you know doing a search for. Um, you know, those those keywords, basic cyber hygiene or cybersecurity or NIST 800 171, um, because if if they're hidden down in there and you don't see them, it can have ramifications. Um, there is a new uh, memo that just came out from the Department of Defense in the past month that talks about how they're planning to enforce this in the interim. And, um, you know, there's a new DOJ initiative to uh, for whistleblowers to come forward to, you know, in situations where companies are claiming they meet the requirements, but they're not. So the government is starting to take note because they're losing their data to our adversaries. Um, I'll just give one real quick story that came from Katie Errington, who was kind of the, a, a big pusher of the CMMC. She worked in the Department of Defense during the last administration. And so she was out trying to push these requirements and help and encouraging folks to to um, to start taking note and start improving their security. Um, and she would always talk about the the plane that China developed over the course of a very short amount of time that we had already spent 20 or so years developing. And the reason that they were able to do it so fast is because they came into our systems at a low level subcontractor, stole the plans. They didn't do any of the work and their plane looks practically identical to ours. And so that's the kind of thing that that we need to keep protected is that information. It's like little puzzle pieces. So you think, well, I'm only designing the screw for this one particular, you know, weapon system. However, what our adversaries are able to do is they take that piece of information from you about the screw and then another piece of information from this other company and they start to put together the puzzle to build the bigger picture. And that's what we need to protect is not allowing them to do that um, because it puts us at a disadvantage. If our adversaries can do just as well as we can, then there's no longer that advantage that we have. Absolutely. You know, it's, a, it's really not much different than back in the day. A spy walks into an office and works there for four or five years. And all of a sudden, one day there's the plans for this new plane sitting right there on the table. There it goes. And they don't need to be physically present anymore. Yeah. It also goes back to, I don't know if you're, uh, I like Johnny Cash and he's got a song. I can't remember the name of it, but where he like builds this car over like a 10 year period and then he puts it together and it's like 15 different cars <laughs> and it's this ugly thing, but kind of the same thing. Just take a little bit here, a little bit there. Mm -hmm. And the next thing you know, you kind of put that puzzle together. Right. Right. Yeah. Because yeah. there's more than enough. Con I can't imagine how many contractors are involved in the design plans for, you know, the F-22, you know what I mean? I'm sure there's hundreds of companies that are, that are putting pieces together, mm -hmm. you know, and you don't always have to have all the pieces. You could have 85% of the pieces. And right. figure out the rest. Exactly. So, yep. So these, these standards, when uh, does the government have anything come out exactly when these are supposed to start and how that's playing out? Well, like I mentioned, the NIST 800-171 is 
is uh, in, in practice right now. But the CMMC, that's the new piece, that's the verification piece, and that is expected to come out in March of next year. So we're less than a year out now. Um, and so, you know, I've worked with some companies for more than a year to try and build their security program. So it's not a small lift. So you don't want to wait until January to get started on this. Um, you know, it's good to go ahead and get a baseline um, because we're going to start to see the CMMC requirements, they say, in summer next year. Um, and so, you know, it could prevent you from bidding on a new contract if you haven't been doing your your groundwork and your foundation of, of going through NIST 800 and preparing your systems for that assessment because a, a third party assessor is going to come in and you know it's going to be up to them whether or not you get that certification whether or not you're going to be able to bid on that contract and so it's important to go ahead and get started on those now awesome well you know one of the goals of my podcast here is to educate uh mm -hmm also inspire people into action so anybody once again listening to this or watching this no matter what it is you might want to get started on it because as you were saying that i was thinking oh a year or less that's like crunch time like you're playing catch up at this point so i'm glad you you, you know told us about that so people can get on it so sure um so what what kind of bringing us more into a personal space what kind of cyber attacks are kind of the mainstream thing that you're seeing out there against personal people or businesses? Right. Well, you know, I'm sure you've probably heard about phishing and social engineering, those kinds of things. Those have not gone away. If anything, what we've seen recently is how much more sophisticated those attacks are becoming. Um, you know, before you could look at the, the spelling of words or the, the grammar of an email and, and know that, you know, oh, that's that's probably not really my bank because they 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 typically will proofread. Um, but anymore nowadays, those phishing attacks are getting more sophisticated. Um, social engineering, um, especially around things like the the pandemic um, and any other um, like social um, activity, um, you can expect a, a, an increase in social engineering attacks. Um, you know, more and more we're on social media. And, you know, someone could target your, your activity online and try and, and attack you, social, like social engineering. And all that requires is a telephone. Um, so that's not even a very sophisticated attack, but those have been increasing as well. Um, something else we see for business owners is business email compromise. That has been increasing a lot lately. And that's where, um, like, let's say for instance, you have an, an, uh, an invoice that you need to pay and that vendor, um, they contact you and they say, hey, we've changed our banking information, um, so send the next payment here. Well, unbeknownst to the business, that vendor is an imposter. And so now you have paid an adversary, a, a criminal, what you should have been paying your vendor legitimately. And so now you're out that money and your vendor still needs to get paid. So that that's a big a one. Where I'm at, I'm, I'm a, a realtor, been doing that for almost 10 years. Yes. Mm -hmm. And that's something over probably the last four years, we've been disclosing. We, we Our local association created a form to have that conversation specifically with all, well, hopefully all agents are doing it, but all buyers and sellers, because there was a situation where it was a couple hundred thousand was wired to the wrong account. And I always have to have that conversation with, I even sellers kind of look at me confused, like, what does it matter to me? I'm getting the money. 
the the title company or the attorney is just going to wire it to my bank, right? That's usually not intercepted. They already know those information. I was like, because you want to know that there's a risk that your buyer gets taken advantage of. If you're expecting cash offer on your property and boom, 200,000 or 500,000 is gone, they're not getting that back. Uh, the, 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 the likelihood is, is slim. So I always tell people, trust but verify. When you get the wiring instructions or you get something that looks fishy, pick up the phone and right. call or physically go into the place if you happen to it happens to be a local business or something, you know, and call and be like, hey, is this right? You know, why am exactly. I getting billed an extra $500 on the yeah. deliveries for last week or something, you know, trust but verify. Right. And, you know, you think about you, you want to find the best in people. You want to be able to trust people. But anymore nowadays in cyberspace, we have to put ourselves in the shoes of an adversary. And like you said, verify, um, you know, online, unless you are absolutely certain of who you're talking to, because you've been able to verify it outside of that, that band of being on the Internet, um, like, you know, with a text message or something. Um, yeah, you, you, you can't really trust anybody that you encounter because it's so easy to impersonate nowadays uh, a legitimate person. And, and that'll that'll go into some of my suggestions. Look at look at the TV. Bit. I don't know if you've seen that. I think it's on MTV. Catfished. You know, that's just dating and people faking who they are. Oh, yeah. That's and, and totally faking people. I mean, that's, that's going down. It's going down a different path. But same basic thing can happen oh, in yeah. business and other things. Oh, yeah. And it's heartbreaking to hear some of the stories. And so, you know, that's that's something that I'm glad we're talking about this and you're getting this out to folks is because. Um, you know, you don't want your family to become a victim to something like this. You don't, um, you don't want to face those, those difficult challenges of changing all your bank accounts of, you know, freezing your credit. And I mean, it, it, it's just a whole lot. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, I always try and encourage folks to put yourself in the position of the bad guy. We don't want to be that, but in order to protect ourselves and to think, what is the worst that could happen? It gives you kind of that that pause to say, oh, that's right. Maybe, maybe just let me confirm. So if somebody calls you out of the blue and it's like, hey, it's your bank and your card's been stolen, uh, can you verify the number? That should cause you to to pause and say, I didn't, I didn't call you. Give me, you know, let me give me your name, and you go outside of that, look up the number yourself, and call them back. Um, so Same thing, if even it if it's the police you calling you to tell you, oh, we got, you know, or verify this information. Yeah, the IRS yes, is the another IRS. one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So trust but verify, um, I think, is a, is good advice. Another thing is don't believe the emails and the voicemails and the text messages about your business has been pre-approved for a $500,000 loan. I get those another, like every day. And it's like, that's funny. I never applied for one. <laughs> right. You know, Not getting me. With the text messages, and this happens around the holidays a lot. I tell folks, if it sounds too good to be true, this is one of those situations where it's definitely too good to be true. Um, you know, so watch out for any sensational, um, you know, fear mongering or something like that, you know, or, or like, if you don't get this last item, you know, that like, do it quick. If it's, if, yeah, do you it should quick. always the, be able to pause. The, the, uh, go, go to Walgreens or CVS and get the, uh, um, I, I don't care. Just get the American Express gift cards, gift cards and give yeah. me the numbers. Like I get it all the time. I, I don't know what it is about the real estate industry, but they will um, they will pretend to be my managing broker. Mm. And I can't, I just, I just left it off small office. There was like 12 people in there and they would try and spoof her all the time. And yeah. like, I really need you to do me a favor. I'm in a meeting right now. Like, 
and eight o'clock at night, you ain't in no conference call meeting. <laughs> like I'm not, <laughs> yeah. you may be out with clients, but you ain't out there. Cause it was, it was like, like clockwork, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm in a large company now with a, like 10,000 agents. And I got one the other day from the CEO. I was yeah. like, yeah, the CEO doesn't That's have my phone not, number. <laughs> right. Luck. That's not usual. Yeah. Yeah. You know, exactly. but you gotta, you gotta just, you gotta be really careful with those things. I mean, I see mm-hmm. them on my email all the time, all kinds of things. And I'm like, I'm not opening that. Right. And if it, and if it is legit and I don't open it, somebody's going to call me because they'll have mm-hmm. my phone number. Right. And I'll be like, Keith, why didn't you open that email? Oh, okay. Send it to me again. Okay, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> if it comes through in the next five minutes, I know it's legit. Yeah. So verification. It's a good verify. Step. Yep. Mm-hmm. So what, what would you say are maybe the top five tips or so then to, to not be come a victim? Um, you know, we've talked about a few things, but, um, you know, one, one in particular is passwords. Um, you know, think about what passwords you're using on what sites. Um, are you using the same password on multiple websites? Because if you are, then that, if one site is compromised, then your other accounts where you've used that same password has also been compromised. So do not reuse passwords would be my first recommendation. My second recommendation is don't uh, use personal information in your passwords. Makes it easy to remember, right? But if you're on in social media, you're, you know, somebody has developed a, a file on you and they know your birthday, they know your kids' names, they know your pets' names. So don't use personal information in your passwords. Um, and, and so then you're probably thinking, well, how the heck am I gonna remember all my passwords? So my third recommendation is look at a password manager. Um, You can, there are free password managers out there where you can have a long complex password for every single one of your sites and you never have to remember a single one. The only thing you have to remember is your master password for the entire um, database where your passwords are stored. And then the password manager protects all of those. And so you're not using the same password on multiple sites and you're using a long complex password that's not likely to be guessed or in a brute force attack where a computer is trying all the different combinations of letters and numbers to get your password. So password manager. Um, The other thing that I recommend, I guess is number four, is uh, multi-factor authentication. Anytime you can turn it on, turn it on. Um, You know, there's some debate in the, the IT space and the cybersecurity space about you know, how secure is your SMS versus the, the uh, authenticator app on your phone. But the bottom line is that most people don't do multi-factor authentication. So anyone that you can turn on is going to increase your security to a new level. So multi-factor most people authentication, don't do that, huh? It's, it's true. It, it really is. And, and, and you'll find it a lot, um, I think, with like parents, um, you know, an older generation. Um, it's harder for them to understand that concept because they're so used because, you know, they didn't grow up with computers. So they've become accustomed to typing in their password. Well, for that short amount of time from the time that we, you know, we started working on computers until now, that's just the way that we did it. And so, you know, you and I, we might not, we might find it pretty easy to set up a password manager and start using it. But for older uh, the older generations, that's a lot harder to do because they are not seeing that I have to type it in. But with a password manager, you don't even have to type it in. It plugs it in for you. Um, so 
that's a that's a really big one that that I like to push. Yeah, the two factor thing is. I try to set it up on everything I can. I will admit sometimes it's a real pain in the butt. Like, okay, do I want an email or I want a text? I get so many texts as it is. Right. Like it's so annoying, but it's like, you know what? I can go delete the text after, after I've authenticated. No big well, deal. Clean up my text and, messages. Yeah. But if you think about it, if your bank account is compromised and you get locked out, well, you're going to have to get in the car and go down to the bank to prove who you are. And that's going to take some time. And then they're going to have to spin up your accounts again, which was going to require them to call somebody. Um, so that short amount of time that it takes to put in those six digits from your from a text message or from the authenticator app is really in the grand scheme of things, not a lot of time. Um, because you don't want to be agree. in that situation where you're having to go and reset all your accounts and wait for the bank to reimburse you for the money that was lost. I mean, it's it's a headache. Absolutely. I tell you, that's one of the, um, it, it kind of goes into the, kind of across both worlds, really, but like the whole gas pump thing and, mm -hmm. and the fake readers that they put on it. That's why I use a credit card all the time instead of my debit card. Because right. I'm like, at least if I got to shut it off, it's one phone call to my credit card company. Right. Yeah. And then, I mean, that's all I put on my credit card. Just yeah. Yeah, maybe some pizza at Casey's every now and then. Only Midwesterns <laughs> would probably get that one. But, uh, <laughs> you know, like that's it. And then, then pay it off. But at least I know. I've got another layer of security there through the credit card company right. versus them having access to, you know, the different accounts and my personal accounts. So. Right. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. That's some, that's, that's some good advice there. Now we'll switch to kids. Um, yes. <laughs> what should the parents out there that are listening to this, what should they do to help take precautions to protect their kids or conversations with their kids? What, what should they be doing? Well, you know, this really hits close to home because I have three, um, all under the age of 14. And so I, it is Everything's a scary digital. world out there. It, it is a scary world out there. And, you know, um, a, a couple of, of my suggestions um, for kids is, um, one, you've got to know what your kids are doing. Um, you know, it's really hard for us with our day-to-day our -day jobs and our, our the responsibilities to have to go and learn, okay, what is Roblox? I don't, I don't get it. But you really need to understand what it is that your kids are doing online. Um, you need to have some knowledge about what is Roblox, what is the lingo, um, you know, and, and Roblox Blox just comes to mind because I have boys. Um, but, you know, anything that your kids are into is, is you, you need to know about it. You need to... Um, you don't have to become an expert, but you need to be able to understand, okay, what it is that they're doing. Um, the other or thing if there's that a red I, flag that goes off, you maybe at least recognize it and can do something. Right. About. Or yeah. if there's this, you know, something that comes up in the news and you're like, oh yeah, that my kid plays that, um, you can, you know, investigate further. Um, my other recommendation is know your kids' passwords. Do not allow them to have their own passwords. They must share their passwords with you. And here's the thing, it's not, because you don't trust them. It's A, because we don't trust the other people on the internet. And B, kids are notorious for forgetting their passwords. So you having the, uh, the, uh, the password as well, not only gives you the access to their account to be able to go in and make sure they're not, you know, exposed to something they shouldn't be. But, you know, you can be like, well, if you lose your password, you can't get back into Roblox. So don't you want me to have that as well? Um, it, it just, it just makes sense. And that's a, that's a deal breaker in our house. Um, you know, 
I have to know all the passwords. Um, otherwise, you don't get to use the device. Um, so you kind of have to draw a line in the sand um, and just, you know, you're the one that's supposed to protect them. So the, as much as we can do to do that is important. Um, and then the other thing is a lot of devices nowadays um, have um, built in control like time limitations, um, limitations on who they can text. Um, you know, we use Apple. Um, and so that's a built in feature for families. And so any any way that you're not I don't like to advocate like spying like those kinds of apps um, that spy on what your kids are doing. But um, where you can put limitations, I think, is important. Um, you know, time limitations. They don't need to be on there all day long um, and they don't all need to be long, on there all night long. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, there needs to be a cutoff. Um, no good thing happens on the Internet after 8 p.m. I mean, we we know we're adults. Point. Yeah. <laughs> we know this. I do the same thing and I'll point it out. We use Android. So um, I've got Family Link. I think it's a Google product. I could be wrong, uh, but it allows me to do that same thing too with my oldest he's on it's got a phone but i can set the time frames throughout the day i can set them like i don't know what is set at it's off the top of my head like 7 a.m to 9 p.m so after that it won't let him do anything but make an emergency call right uh there might be settings in there for who he can text but in order to download an app he has to request mm -hmm. it and my wife and i have to approve of it right through our phones which i would piece of advice to parents out there don't leave your phone sitting around if they know the password to it because don't just, let them know the password <laughs> they'll just get on it and then they'll approve that video game download or whatever program it right. is that's happened at my house and then um ironically talking about passwords earlier i won't say what program but my youngest i got an email yesterday that a password of mine was changed and i'm like well that's weird you yeah. know nobody would have gone in there and changed this particular password and um of course, they've got access to all kinds of devices, but he finally admitted to it today that he went in there and changed it. He wanted to download something, and so he knew the password and went in and changed it. And I'm like, you know, I get emails about that, right? Oops. <laughs> Lesson <laughs> so, learned. Yeah, you know, you learn some as a parent. Oh, yeah. Well, and, you know, the last thing that um, I recommend for parents is, is talking. Just talk about it. Ask them what they're looking at online. Have those dialogues um, because in the event that something happens online like bullying cyberbullying, or something like that you want your child to feel comfortable enough to come and talk to you about it and so um you having some knowledge of how um how everything works um in that space you have some knowledge about roadblocks they've encountered an issue they they need to feel comfortable to come and talk to you about it um, I think that is is probably one of the most important things when it comes to parenting a child in the digital age. You know, I couldn't agree more with that because we, we always try to tell my kids like they'll talk about stuff. And it's like you do realize like we like your mom and I are so old, but yet so young yes. that we've seen everything go from floppy disks to today. Right. We have seen the complete evolution of personal computers, cell phones being introduced to a snake on them all the way up to smartphones and everything they do today like we're that generation has seen a lot of that stuff we know exactly exactly we saw aol instant messengers and the weird conversations and the creeps that were on there we oh, know yes. what the internet does oh, yes. <laughs> we know who's oh, on yes. there you know well you know and that, we know that 
which is weird. But you got you have to have that open dialogue and it kind of show them that you know what what's going on there. Well, and it it also you can you can tap into your own experience and you can you know point out things. Well, like you know, if, um, I'm just thinking of a, an instance where you know my friend told me that such and such you know happened, and it's a it's a situation where you can say. Well, did you know that anyone can post on the internet? You can't always believe everything that you read. And so there's there's situations where that that back and forth dialogue can, you know, tap into your own experience and you know, not necessarily scare them into not using it at all, but at least to make them aware because the the future, their future, they need to be digital citizens first and foremost. And they're going to learn that by doing but also by us being that guiding light for them yeah i didn't realize that uh well i'll say 10 years ago there wasn't a whole lot of user created content like there is today mm-hmm. i know wikipedia right you know i just finished college here this last december right i always beat it into our heads remember that the information on wikipedia may be true the truth but it may not be because at least at one point in time, anyway, it was partially user created. But you think about now, like YouTube and all these other video apps. Yeah, there's a real person. You can see that real person in there, but they may not be 100% the experts. So you have to do that, like trust, right. like what, what are their credentials? Right. Who is this person speaking? If they just come on there and start talking about something, they don't, you know, they could be blowing smoke out of there. You know what? right exactly and those are just great ways to engage in discussion with the children um because they're going to learn it some way or another so it may as well be you that's having those discussions yeah because not everything you read on google is the truth just like everything you read in the news is not always the truth (laughs) and and youtube and you know so on and on that's a good point about being a, a you know a cyber citizen it's just the world we live in these days right you have to adapt to it right yeah so, well, Lori, I appreciate you coming on the podcast. Uh, this has been a fascinating conversation and valuable to literally anybody in the audience, whether they're going for a government contract or a small business owner or just a parent with some kids who are starting to discover devices, which seems to happen younger and younger every day. But, uh, yeah. you know, there's a lot of good information in here for people to, uh, to take some action on and or at least think about, you know, be more aware of. So I appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. My pleasure. And uh, for anybody watching or listening, I've had a scroll across the bottom, uh, whiteravensecurity.com. I made sure to include HTTPS, which means it's secure. Yes. Enough about the yes. that. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> information, but uh, all her contact information will be in the show notes as well. So if you want to reach out to her, learn more about these classes, consultations, whatever the case may be, um, all her contact information will be there. Thanks so much, Keith. It was really a great to talk to you. Absolutely. You take it easy. All right. You too. There you go, folks. Remember, you can go check out my website, battlebuddypodcast.net. Try to always keep uh, new information and resources available there. If you happen to be struggling right now, remember the National Suicide Hotline number is now 988 press 1, or the same old text number is there, which is 838 255.